Hi, and welcome to Jackie Winder Gives You the Business. I'm Jeremy Wartzman, and I'm here with my co-host, Laura Chanbaker. Hello. Yes, I know. We simply couldn't keep you away, Lara, because <laughs> of some scheduling conflicts. Our plans to roll the rest of the season out with our special co-host, Rachel Kendrick, unfortunately had to be changed mid-flight, as she was sadly unable to finish things up with us here. So, if I could do an Al Pacino impression, or any impression, but specifically Al Pacino's from The Godfather 3 properly, I would do it now, but I'll spare us all that awfulness and just say, welcome back, Lara. Hello. Hi, it's good to be back. And, you know, you called me crying, crying, begging me. I thought it'd be awful not to. Yeah, no, there was lots of me doing some Backstreet Boys impressions. I was at your house holding a boombox over my head, did the whole thing. and <laughs> Classic Jeremy move. Now, for anyone who's listened to the show from the early days, you'll know that the format often changes from season to season as we tackle new topics and get excited about new things. And as I teased in the first episode a few weeks ago, Laura is actually beavering away at our 10th season, which will be a deep dive into the business of illustration. It is a very fun and ambitious project, but it sadly means we don't have the time to do the hard-hitting investigative production and research that we normally have the resources to do. So, therefore, we're going back to our beloved Open Tabs format for our ninth season. Now, for the next few months, as Laura and I put together this new project, Project. We'll be coming together each week and going through some of our own open tabs in a bit more of a rapid fire session, providing an insight into the creative industry from our unique points of view. Using the internet as our lens, we hope to explore a variety of current events, opinions, and tools to provide thought-provoking conversation for anyone whose job it is to bring creative things to life, but mostly for us to talk a lot of shit. In the meantime, Lara, great to have you back. How is your freelance life going? My freelance life is pretty damn busy thanks to you continuing to pile things on my plate, but hey, I'm not complaining. That's a good thing. Busy is a wonderful problem to have, but yeah, life's good. I just moved house, which as everyone knows is a combination of very good and very bad. So I'm just chugging along. How are you, Jeremy? You know, I'm going to give you my classic. I'm okay. <laughs> School holidays. <laughs> School holidays have ended, you know. How I, like I missed that emotional vulnerability that you <laughs> give to us, Jeremy. Well, yeah, that's what I hope to be giving you more of this entire season as we dig through some of these tabs, including some very revealing Google search results and other things. But I think we're going to get stuck straight into it this week. Cool. I'm excited and scared. Excellent. Now, Laura, I am starting my first tab of the week with something that Apparently, we've, we've somehow kind of come together on this one, which is a game called Guess My Word. Um, oh, yeah. It has taken a very coveted browser tab spot. You know, so I, I don't do pin tabs. My first tab is Gmail. My second tab is Newsblur. And my third tab is this Airtable document. And now, you know, the coveted fourth tab is now Guess My Word. So it, this you is a very You have pinned kind of, this? You've actually pinned this. Even I haven't gone that far. Well, I pinned it because it's a daily game. It's kind of like I come back to it every day. It's really fun. It kind of takes about anywhere between, well, depending on how good you are, anywhere between three and 10 minutes. And basically, it's a plain text game. It's a website. You get there. It just says, I'm thinking of an English word. Make guesses below, and I'll tell you if my word is alphabetically before or after your guess. So it's a daily word guessing game. It's a clone of one that used to be available on a different site. The whole conceit is very straightforward, but I don't know. Like I don't know why this is so fun, and it's really great. I mean, are you still doing it, Laura? Oh, yeah, I, I love it. I don't know if you explained, but basically, like, when you enter your guesses, it tells you alphabetically, like, my word, the word I'm thinking of is after or before whatever you've guessed. I got really mad recently because I don't know why, but I, for ages, I was always starting my guesses with the word horse. And then one day I just decided to change it up. And that was the fucking word. I could have had it in one guess in like one second. I would have been top of the leaderboard. But yeah, you and I, Jeremy, have become fairly competitive on this. 
I love it. I mean, yeah, it, it's just a really fun thing. I mean, I love my board games. I do my crossword every day. I'm still me working too. through them. And it's, it's just, I don't know, it's one of those things that it makes me feel really smart when you get it. And I think that's kind of, I don't know, any good product or game or anything. It's like, it's challenging enough, but also when you solve it, it does kind of give you this sense of, I don't know, feeling a bit better about yourself. But this is a fun Jesus, game. So our I lives would... are so sad. <laughs> hey. Speak for yourself. I love my game-filled <laughs> life. This is a really fun game. And again, with all the links that we're talking about this season and every episode in this season, they're going to be in our show notes, in our newsletter. So yeah, we're not going to spell out the whole thing. But yeah, the game is Guess My Word. And Laura, I'm going over to your first link of the week. My first link of the week is, well, speaking of words, we'll keep that going. It's called the Conscious Style Guide. And it's a really cool resource that I came across. Basically, it's this website that's devoted to helping writers and editors or anyone who's interested really to critically analyze their use of language when it comes to sensitive topics. So basically, they have all these categories and they range from everything like religion to health to ethnicity to sexuality and a whole lot more. And they keep this running list of various sources across the internet that explain and debate the use of different types of language in those categories. So not just words, but also like framing and representation and portrayals, et cetera. And these sources that they include, they cover like a really, a pretty wide range of different opinions. So the idea is that me as a writer, I can go to this site, I can access all these kind of style guides and discussion resources and make my own informed decision on what I think is the most appropriate way to phrase something in that instance for, you know, my audience. And it's so cool because as a writer or anyone, hopefully you generally do want to be using terminology that's accurate and it's inclusive and respectful, but it can be really hard sometimes to figure out what the best approach actually is, or there are just things that you wouldn't even think about because it's not in your daily world of experience. And I think, you know, there actually are lots of marginalized communities that have created their own media guides, but actually finding those can be really difficult. And once you find it, it still only presents one perspective. So this is just a really cool collection of resources to help you make educated choices. I love it. I love it too. How have you used it kind of in your writing so far? Like, can you give us an example at all? I actually only just discovered it. So it's something that I came across like two or three days ago, and I've just sort of kept it open as a tab since then. I can't remember where I found it, but it was like a somewhere else I stumbled upon a, a list of resources for writers and I just opened a few things and found some really cool stuff. But I thought this one was one I definitely wanted to keep in my arsenal of tools. It's interesting. Like, I wonder if it could, you know, this, if there's a potential for it to integrate with something like a Grammarly, not that, but, you know, something that kind of, you know, Grammarly kind of picks up on tone now in some of their newest offering. And I wonder if, yeah, if this could be something that could kind of happen live, because I guess it also is making the assumption of you as a writer will have that kind of consciousness to know when you're in territory that needs the support. Yeah, completely. So, I mean, I think partly as a copywriter, that is also my job is to actually be aware of times when I need that support. But for a lot of people, um, they might not be. So yeah, finding a way that tech could kind of help to prompt you would be amazing. But I'm writing a style guide at the moment for a client. So I imagine I'll be using this to kind of help dictate that area of things of their inclusive and accessible language. Well, speaking of clients, that actually goes very nicely into my second link of the week, which is an app that I found on Product Hunt, which is kind of a site that I guess gathers new web products that are kind of launching all the time. I mean, I have my RSS filter, just new apps, but this is an app called simply client at twoclient.com. And it's, I guess it's more of a 
Well, it's a small product. It's done by another company who has this other thing called Start Global, which is, helps people start companies in the US. And basically, it's kind of one of these microservices, which I've been really into lately, just because I'm always seeing how we could potentially integrate it into the Jackie Winter stack in that way. And so this is effectively like a chatbot experience that helps onboard new clients, basically. There's a really cool demo that you can use right there that takes you through the experience in terms of actually gathering a brief and then also being able to schedule a call, upload files, sign NDAs, like all of these things that is very kind of manual work that we often are doing a lot of as producers. And I love the fact that this automates that in a way. It's a bit scary. You can kind of see how this could eventually maybe be built into something that could disrupt our industry. But these are the things that I love seeing. But yeah, like building a brief is the most important part, I think, of any creative project. And so anything that puts a framework on that, that I guess makes it a bit more accessible and uses other people's experience of how briefs are built to actually make a product like this, I think is really interesting. Whether or not it will actually succeed beyond this, because it is something that effectively you could do with any form builder. It's an interesting case study. Laura, what did you think about this? Well, I'm just interested. You said then, you know, that like the brief is the most important part or the kind of foundation of any project. And do you think then that that's something that actually shouldn't be done without kind of real human interaction? And, actually, you know, I, or maybe it's just it's a starting point. I think it's a really cool idea. And I think people are crying out for this for different kind of industries and in different kinds of ways. And I've seen people actually ask questions about whether resources like this exist. I mean, I think the chatbot kind of revolution is inevitable and has, and I think it's improved a lot of customer experiences in many different ways, but with something as fundamental as a brief, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that we spent a lot of time developing our own kind of similar briefing document. And much to my chagrin, it was never really widely taken <laughs> up because of the things that exactly you mentioned, that it is a very moving process. And I think especially if you're in a high touch industry that requires and puts a high value on that human interaction, I don't know if this is something that can kind of be automated. But I think if you're a freelancer or an artist that's looking to put some structure around this process, I would definitely check it out. Laura, I think you also just link. hit a point when if you're working with clients who are going to be expending a certain amount of money, they expect a human person to help them quickly sort of disassemble their thoughts, you know, and kind of put them back together rather than a form. They, it's just something they'd expect. But who knows? Things may change. My second link for this week is in some of the work I'm doing at the moment, obviously I'm a copywriter, but it's I am also kind of working on the strategy end of things as well. And so I've been keeping an eye out for sort of interesting branded content of which there's a lot of good stuff and a lot of bad stuff. But Obviously, there's a lot of editorial pieces that can be tweaked to maybe be used in a more commercial context. So one thing that I saw recently I thought was kind of cool was from Wired Magazine. They did this, they've been doing this video series where they basically get experts in all different areas. So it might be like a space expert, an engineering expert, a maths expert, whatever it is. And they get them to explain high level subjects in five different layers of complexity. So first they talk to a child, like a child under five, a teenager, then an undergrad that's majoring in that subject, then a grad student, and then finally another expert in that area. And it's really cool to see how they actually managed to explain that concept to people with different levels of understanding, but also to see how the conversation evolves and how they're able to sort of discuss much more complex things with each person. And I just thought it was a really cool idea. Awesome. Love it. Haven't checked it out myself, but yeah, no, that seems like a good one. How dare you cool. not pay attention to my links, Jeremy? 
<laughs> this is we're taking a, a rapid fire approach here. Moving on to my next link. This is just a very short piece from under consideration on their brand new site, which is just et2dhl and points to the almost completely sold out collection between DHL and Cassettify. I don't know if I'm butchering that pronunciation, but it's apparently a collection of mobile phone and Apple accessories, all with the DHL branding, which again, are all sold out except for two very sad Galaxy S10 Plus cases on that page. <laughs> And I don't know, like, for some reason, this was served as a sponsored ad in one of, like, you know, that I kind of came across. And I was like, is this a joke? Like, what's going on? I realized there was some connection with, I think, the label Vediments that did the DHL crossover previously in one of their collections. But this seems to be at a whole new other level. And, Laura, as the sole representative in my life of young people today, I just need to <sighs> know, do you understand this? What's actually happening here? God, that's a lot of pressure. And, like, yes and no. I mean, branded like merchandise, clothing, products, whatever, has been on such a fucking kick for the last couple of years. Like you think about all the you know, KFC and Shake Shack and Bob, all of the brands that did all the clothing and stuff. It's just like a weird trend at the moment, but I don't know that I can explain it more than that. That said, I kind of love these. Like I really, <laughs> really want one. <laughs> I know. That's the whole thing after this. I was like, actually, like, I think it went to sat with me for a bit. Like, I kind of get it. It is kind of it's interesting. Just the and yet, proliferation of normcore, right? And like brands and humans becoming one thing. I don't know if you saw this, Lara, but there was this tech conference that was happening and they were placing build posters all over Melbourne. But instead of kind of announcing the speakers that were at the events, they just put the companies there. So it like looked like this concert poster, but it was just like MailChimp. We transfer Atlassian. And it was the weirdest, most surreal thing that I've ever seen because it kind of like, yeah, it's like, well, doesn't matter about the people anymore. It's just like, you know, people just want to interact with these brands in this kind well, of in this previously intimate space. No, but honestly, who goes to the conferences necessarily for that specific person? Like I kind of wondered why they didn't do that for most conferences these days. Like you're going because you're interested to hear someone speak from with that particular subset of knowledge, but like the, their name might not be anything you've ever heard before. That oh, makes absolutely. sense to me. And I, I think it's super interesting, but I can't imagine what it must be like to be kind of a designer or someone at those large organizations where I guess your identity is subsumed by the company kind of in that way. Anyway, this is definitely getting to much deeper territory than I planned <laughs> for this link, but I thought I'd throw it out there. Lara, yours next up, please. Okay, so now I've got one that's, look, it's kind of boring, but it's also really, I thought I found it really useful. This is an old link and we've talked about it within the Jackie Winter office. It's a medium piece called Persuasive Phrases, Nine Lines That Will Get People to Commit. And a lot of these articles are just like such trash, such trash, or just kind of spewing the same stuff that you've heard over and over again. But this is a piece I really liked. I think a lot of the people in the office really liked it. Again, some of it's trash, but there are some really interesting tactics in here in terms of pushing a negotiation forward without being manipulative, but using language and using framing to really understand what the other side are wanting and needing out of something and to help try and progress it. And I thought it was a really good piece when I was at Jackie Winter and, and I was thinking about it in the context of working with our own clients. But since leaving, I've kind of reframed that in you know, how do I use these sorts of things in other parts of my life, whether it's dealing with real estate agents or my clients now, or even like friends and family in a way less kind of businessy way. But I think the principles are really interesting. I think it's worth a read. 
Definitely. And I, I don't know, like, I really just like these kind of simple phrases and I find they work really well. Like if you understand the intention behind them and how they're kind of meant to work, they can have a lot of leverage. I definitely would not be dismissing these types of articles just on the face of them because, yeah, it's a great way to train yeah. people is all I found. They include some phrases that are kind of like, for example, here is what most people do next. And they kind of explain how, you know, if you want someone to move into action, even though you really want to just kind of shake them and say, this is what you need to do. If you use the phrasing of like, here's what most people do next, it kind of serves that same purpose, but it's a lot more cushioned and it can guide people into making a decision. And anyway, just one example, but there's some really good stuff in there. Awesome. One thing that popped up from my RSS feeds that was an immediate open that I'm still kind of pouring over was this amazing, it actually was from Jalopnik, like so part of that big, I don't even know who owns all of these properties at the moment, but it linked originally to a Jezebel piece, which is titled, Why Are RVs So Fucking Hideous? And I got to say, like, it's... <laughs> Like, this is what I just love about the internet because like it, it's one of like the worst things and the best things where it's like, you know, sometimes like I'm just, you know, in the bathroom, I'm just like, yes, who is this person's brother and what do they do? And like you get stuck <laughs> in that Wikipedia just because you want to know. But this is a question that I've always been plagued by, especially as I have been spending a lot of time in holiday parks and camper van parks, like, you know, just with my family. Yeah, you family, and man. But I love them. I do love them. And But yet they are so hideous. And so this article had some real gems in it in terms of uncovering the aesthetic called energy drink aesthetic, which I think is very apt for this. It's kind of like, you know, the pattern. I think Fuck Jerry uses it on the takeaway coffees that you get in oh, New yeah. York, that turquoise and purple, just kind of weird swiggle. And it's kind of like they're all over motorhomes. And I'm just going to quote two things from the article. And the author saying that, you know, not talking about classic motorhomes, but today's monster motorhomes plastered with what the industry euphemistically describes as swoops and swoops worlds and what I think of as the unfortunate spawn of Guy Fieri fucking a school bus, which is fantastic. <laughs> and they, they actually kind of did a deep dive into, you know, they contacted these companies and I tried to find out, like, where did this come from? And so, yeah, there's just a short quote to like, sum up the article if you don't want to read it. And it's basically, nobody understands the swishes and sweeps on the outside. And we've seen a lot of people asking, why do you guys do it that way? It's funny because we talk about this in meetings as well. That's the way we've always done it. And I think it's just a sad indictment on so many things in the world because that's the way it's always been done. That's the way things continue to be done. I really hope someone makes some changes with this aesthetic soon because like it is it horrible. It could be you, Jeremy. Like, it could be you. Oh God. I, these are premium products. These things cost heaps of money. Anyway, oh, we'll yeah. see. It's like buying a house in some small parts of the world. It is. I, like the best thing about the internet though, is that there are so many pieces like this that dive into such niche questions. There was one I talked about on the podcast, I think like couple of years ago that this woman had done this amazing deep dive into like why the packaging on goat's cheese is so dumb and why it's so like <laughs> annoying to open and then it doesn't reseal and it just like it seems really badly done for what the product is but she actually like did all this research and went and spoke to all these cheese makers and I just love people like that so good so good what's next for you Lara Next for me is a sort of microsite, I guess you'd call it. This is a standalone website called Animation is Eating the World. And it's been put together by this guy called Michael Dempsey. And actually, I mean, this came up like last year, but I love it so much. I wanted to share it here today. This guy has done this insane research piece. Speaking of people who kind of go really deep on the internet, he's done this incredible piece where he's looking at the history of animation, in particular when it comes to animation in film and TV. And it's a very long read, 
but it's a very, very worthwhile read. Basically, he's kind of examining how each era of animation was brought on and kind of looking at the macroeconomic factors that dictate the type and depth of stories, as well as the technological advances that created functional change in the industry and sort of looking at how we are potentially now on the brink of like another huge animation boom that will be unparalleled in scalability and profitability and global influence versus any other time in history. And he also looks at some of our favorite characters and how they came about and also the like business and political and cultural relationships between key different players, whether that's kind of like Hanna-Barbera or Walt Disney or whatever else. It's just a super, super, super well-written, well-put-together and really well-designed website sort of recap, I guess, if you will, on everything that's happened in TV and film animation so far. So worth a read, even if it takes you like multiple lunch breaks to get through. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's one of those, I think this is like where long form writing and the subject really have a great crossover because it's a kind of motion graphics. Like I don't think this is kind of something that would work in print as much. And so a lot of the accompanying graphics here are very informative. But yeah, amazing deep dive into this. Oh my God, we've said deep dive at least five times. It is my new word. Yeah, I reckon we should change the name of the podcast. Just a deep dive. Yeah. <laughs> Where did you find this, by the way, this one? I have no idea. It's been saved in my favorite section of Pocket for ages. Maybe Bianca sent it to me. I don't even know, but it's just so good. But I think it got shared around the interwebs in general quite a bit when it sort of first came out. And it's one that I have like since sent on to so many people and also plan to kind of go back and read again because even if you know if you read the whole thing, you're not going to retain all that information. It's something you could enjoy multiple times. It's really, really cool. Speaking of really long articles that are gone <laughs> very in-depth by people who, you know, have a very interesting take on things is my... <laughs> that was so diplomatic, Jeremy. <laughs> it was very diplomatic. Yeah, my link, I always have like at least nine or 10 links from Ask Metafilter on my browser at any one time. And they mostly relate to my terror and awful feelings about getting older. And this one is, how do I improve my flexibility in 10 minutes a day? And it got me down into this whole wormhole of flexibility and stretching and into this <laughs> article from painscience.com because that's my whole life is just really about just being in some form of physical pain or discomfort at any time in my golden years, <laughs> what it feels like. But I didn't realize that there's this real huge debate about stretching and the merits of stretching. And there mm -hmm. is this incredibly long and dense research article about basically just kind of a takedown on stretching in many ways. So this is interesting for me because I've also recently been trying to get into yoga specifically to be a bit more flexible from, you know, I am very physically active, like with my sport, which is ice hockey, but then I sit a lot of the day as well. And ice hockey, you're actually very stiff. And so even though I move a lot and play sport, like I don't feel flexible. So this got me into this whole rabbit hole of this other thing that this guy has written about, which is, I guess, his alternative to stretching, which is more movement centered and kind of and more about mobility rather than flexibility. But these are things that I never really thought about. I always just thought I was inherently not flexible and that I needed to be more flexible. And so this is just something I'm still reading through at the moment. I don't have any conclusions on it, but I don't know. Like it really, it's rare for me to find something that kind of questions my perspective on things right now. So yeah, I thought this was particularly interesting in that regard as someone who sits a lot to work. This is the problem though with any of these big health debates is that like you never are able to reach any sort of conclusion because on the internet there is just constantly more and more opinions jumping out <laughs> and each one negates the other and it just makes it so stressful. Although what I do love, have you seen those videos of like, I was going to say old people, but I mean more people in your age bracket, Jeremy, who like... Uh -huh. 
<laughs> who do like a kind of time-lapse video every day of them working on their flexibility. So they might be like trying to touch their no, toes. No, I didn't know this was and a then, thing. And then like, you know, each day... If- yeah, it's so good. There's like all these time lapses and they like take one second of video each day or whatever and you watch them get more and more flexible. And so that's like a fun thing to do instead of actually doing it yourself if you'd like to partake. Interesting. Oh, I will definitely check that out. Laura, what do you got next? Well, it actually ties really well into what you were saying because as much as I like to make fun of you, I also have deep fears that stem almost always from like health things, but never the things that I should actually be paying attention to. Like I don't just eat less crap or drink more water. I just fixate on one weird thing in life that supposedly will fix me. And I've become convinced thanks to some article I was reading one time from who knows where that learning how to sit in like a proper flat-footed squat. You know what that like what you see in like lots of Asian countries where people can like properly squat and sit like that for hours at a time. And I've like completely lost the ability to do that. I'm convinced that learning how to do that is going to save my life because I think I read a study somewhere that showed that it was this key marker of health in that one study only, but still. And so I found this guy, the uncaged man who does this really sort of deep tutorial on how to like train your body to be able to kind of sustain that position over time and I'm going to do it. I'm going to do the deep flat. What is it called? The deep flat footed squat. <laughs> I have so many other thoughts about this. We're running out of time. Can so you I'm do not it? Kind of get there. Can you do it? What? Can you do the squat? Can you sit like that? Well, let's continue this conversation oh, <laughs> in a different form. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay. My last link for the week is a training platform that we're checking out here, which is called the Digital Project Manager. And this is something I found out about another podcast, um, the Businessology podcast. And we're always looking for different things to read or kind of do to help train as producers. And I've always found it really hard because there's there's not a lot that I guess specifically kind of speaks to the work that we do, but I'm definitely noticing a growing trend, especially after I listened to this interview with, I don't even remember his name off the top of my head, but um, yeah, it's something cool. We've just started, we're kind of trialing out with one of our newest um, junior producers here and running through the training, which is basically like an hour a week kind of for the next few months. So again, one of the questions I always get asked is, yeah, how do you train to be a producer as well? And there's actually some certification in here. So if you go on a certain level, you can get this qualification and yeah, there's some really interesting across servers and things to learn here. So I will report back on it. But yeah, it's in my open tabs because I'm having a look on it over Aja's shoulder as well as she kind of goes through it. And Very yeah, cool. we'll keep you posted. And Laura, your last thing for the week, take us home. My last thing for the week is just a song I want to dedicate to you, Jeremy. I just really don't want you to doubt your vibe because I think by the time this goes out, this will be such old news, but I couldn't help but bring it up today. It's the it's Elon Musk's new EDM track that he released on SoundCloud three days ago called Don't Doubt Your Vibe. At the time of recording, it's had 2.38 million plays in three days. And I just feel like we all need to ask, and I I mean, look, we probably are, but what is going on with Elon? (laughs) I just feel like he's so rich that he's run out of sort of stuff to do or any kind of filter. I don't know if it's like a love song to Grimes or what this is, but have you listened to it? It's amazing. I don't think I can bring myself to do it. Oh, Jeremy, you have to. You absolutely have to. Anyway, just like it's kind of like a sounds like a shitty, sweaty dance party. And then you've got Elon over the top just saying like, don't doubt your vibe. It's very good. (laughs) Do you doubt your vibe? Ever? Never. Never. I don't ever doubt my vibe either. (laughs) Fully on board with my entire vibe.
Laura, before we go, it's time to just go out in a classic, the brilliantly named Thumbs Up, Thumbs Down, Shaka, the time we get to kid each week to get the good, the bad, and, you know, another word off of our chest. Why? Because our newsletter design demands it. And as soon as I'm updating the newsletter, we're getting out of this whole thing because it's a bit too much. But we got to do it for now. Lara, what do you got for us? I have all three, but they're all moving house. So I have like a thumbs down, massive thumbs down for having to clean behind furniture that's been sitting there for over four years. We had a fruit bowl that was on top of the washing machine. At some point, I think a peach escaped and fell behind several years ago. And when we moved the washing machine out, the remnants of that were there. I had to clean it up. It sucked. But I also have a thumbs up for finally being able to like bring out the good knives because I'm no longer in a share house and I don't have to worry about someone else putting them in the dishwasher. And that's really liberating. That is fantastic. I was going to make such a great knives out reference here, you know, because it is Oscar season and everything. But yeah, it's going to. That movie was great. It was very good. I have a massive, just, I don't even know, my hands can't even determine this gesture for the fact that Wonderlist is really going away. And (gasps) this is a bit of a late entry here, but it's a real big deal. I've been searching. There is nothing else that kind of replaces it. Like there is a real hole in my heart. I thought that, you know, Microsoft who bought the Wonderlist team was going to be able to, you know, with their they kind of took the technology and the people and put them on the, the to-do app, but it's not the same. It's actually really bad. I'm really upset. I don't know what's going to replace my to-do needs. So any suggestions, please, you know, let us know. Tweet at us, write us an email. As you know, I've looked at everything though. I don't think there's devastated anything. by this. Like I freaked you out because I sent you an all caps text message the other day that just said, what the fucking fuck, Jeremy? Because I <laughs> And then I took a minute to follow up with like, I didn't know Wonderlist was going away, but you probably thought you'd done something terrible. That was very frightening and very uncalled for. <laughs> Thanks so much, Laura. We'll wrap up from here. I'm Jeremy Wartzman. She's Laura Chan Baker, and this has been Jackie Winter Gives You the Business. Our theme music is by totally unrelated to our company, Melbourne-based musician Jackie Winter. You can check out his stuff on soundcloud.com slash Jackie Winter. And if you want more episodes, archives of all of our previous 90 shows can be found back at JackieWinter.GivesYouThe.Biz. To receive beautiful artwork, the links to all of our open tabs and any general Jackie Winter updates, sign up to our newsletter at JWG.Is slash newslettering. You can also find us on Instagram at Jackie winter jets jackie with a y in winter like the season or contact us at podcast at jackiewinter.com if you want to hear more about laura you can follow her on instagram at laura underscore high res dot tiff or laura chan baker one word on twitter remember this is an enhanced podcast if you listen to this using a supportive player you'll be able to see relevant visual content as we wrap it on and if you work for an ad agency or design studio and are interested in our live extended version of open tabs be sure to check out open tabs.rodeo for more info thanks for listening we'll catch you next week bye bye yeah.